0: Well, we're in the book of Corinthians. It's printed in your worship guide. You can also go to 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's page 954. Uh, it's a rite of passage in adulthood, I think, in America. It's a rite of passage for adulthood in America. What am I talking about um, living through the timeshare sales pitch. Okay? Okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, and even saying that brings horrible flashbacks. Uh, for that, those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, just let me tell you, you've been warned. And for anyone that maybe here as uh, sold timeshares or um, sells timeshares, may God have mercy on your soul. Um, uh, you know... They never tell you what you're going into when they do the time. It never is labeled timeshare sales pitch, you know? It's usually a wonderful experience for you and your family or something like that. And they always try to, you know, make it look really good. So uh, they say, we'll give you a free meal and a $50 gift card to somewhere, you know? And uh, and you're like, well, what are you doing? Well, we're, we're, we're selling vacation packages, okay? So Three hours later into this meeting, um, you have now said, what have I gotten myself into? And uh, they're telling you, you've gotten yourself into a wonderful experience for you and your family. It's not just a vacation. It's a way of life. And uh, the salesperson is usually working you and your spouse against each other. Um, I I just love the guilt that's brought up, you know, when's the last time you took your wife on a vacation, you know, somewhere nice, you know, and this could help in that process, and uh, you're not just buying something, you're becoming a member of a family, you know, something like that, and then sign here, pay this amount, and boom, so either you escape with the $50 gift card that you think is not even worth it. That I was here for four hours. Or you've signed up for something and you go, what have I just signed up for? Well, the thing is, I think some of us might feel the same way when it comes to talking about church membership. <laughs> and we say, oh wait, are they just going to cast the bait at the church? You know, this just not really in? you know? What have I signed up for? What am I getting myself into? Is this going to be a sales pitch if I come to this? You know, are they talking about this because they want to increase the roles? You know, does church membership really matter? I mean, I come regularly. I mean, why do I need to actually be a member of the church? And I don't see anything about signing papers or going to a membership class in the Bible. I mean, why should I have to do this? And the thing is, I think in a sell culture, in a marketing culture, many churches have shied away from church membership. They say, oh, it's only for the serious people at the church. If we really do it, it's got to be super, super appealing. And we can only talk about it at a class. Or we just won't talk about it at all. Because if we do, it will scare people away. and We won't have as many people come As we possibly can. But today we're going to talk about church membership. But I have good news for all of you about this talk. And the good news is this. This is not a country club speech or a signing up for a uh, wine of the month club. You're not going to get a photo ID or you're not going to get a token water bottle at the end of going to this class. It's none of that. In fact, as Christians, we don't join churches. As Christians, we submit to them. I can say that again. That wasn't good news, did it? As Christians, we don't join churches. We submit to them. Man, that doesn't sound very reassuring to this trying sales pitch of church membership. This is really not going to help my skepticism of whether I'm going to join a church or not. But the truth is, that's what the Bible says. And that's what I want to show today. That the word of God calls us not to join, simply join churches, be members of churches. It calls us to submit to the visible and local church. Okay? Okay. You ready for this ride? Let's do it, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These scriptures are a little bit of a doozy, so uh, enjoy. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you put stuff in your word that is sometimes hard for us to digest, especially in a culture that runs so far away from commitment. God, help us to be countercultural. Help us to run towards each other and ultimately towards you within the church. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, we're doing a lot of church business stuff this month. We are going, again, like I said, vote for elders. We're going to have congregational meetings. We're going to have members sign pieces of paper to petition the presbytery that we can become a particular church. We're going to install people. We're going to ordain people. We're doing all this church business. And the thing is, some of us might be going, what is so important about this? I just want to worship God. I mean, when you start organizing things and make it an institution and organize a religion, that's when problems arise. And some of us might have the same comment that John Wayne did. He said this, I like God until I get under a roof. (laughs) I like God until I get under a roof. You know, I'm fine with my relationship with God, but just don't put me within the organization of the church, so what I 'm going to try to do these three weeks, like last week, we talked about why the church at a macro level, and then today we're going to talk about why membership, and next week, why church officers or elders, deacons. so that's what we're going to do in the next few weeks. and all those that are worried that Dan has gone topical on all of you, and that 's what it 's going to be the rest of the time: seven ways to save your marriage or something like that, don't worry. We'll be back in Galatians for the rest of um, the winter and into the spring. So I've not gone away from what I think is important, expositional preaching. But I think it's important that we take a break in between books to talk about some topics that are necessary for our church. And that's why we're going to talk specifically about the church over these three weeks. You know, the Bible, um, when you talk about church, is just a huge topic. And I have to jump around a lot, and I know um, it's a lot to digest. Um, but we're going to try as much as I can to narrow it um, within the metaphors that the Bible uses for the church. And there are many, many metaphors that the Bible uses of the church. And uh, they're used by Jesus, and they're used by the apostles. So, I'm just going to review some of them for you. One, the church as a family. And when the church is described as a family, what it's saying is that the church is, has relational intimacy and has a shared identity. There's a church as the vine and the branches. And it's saying there that Jesus is the one that brings health and the word of God is what brings health to the vine and the branches and cr- creates fruit. So we need to be connected to Christ and his word. The church as a temple That meaning that God dwells with the people of the church through his spirit. The church as a bride. It's an example of one that is loved, that we are cared for, that we are called out. That God loves us through Christ as the bridegroom loves the bride. The church as a flock. Meaning that we have overseers and shepherds. And that many times we go wayward. We can go ways that sheep just go off. And we need to be pursued. And there are dangers all around. There are wolves that are around too. The church is flock. And last week we saw the church as an embassy. That it is a representative of Christ's kingdom on earth. The church is, in a sense, a mission to the world around. As an embassy, an outpost of God's kingdom. If we neglect any of these metaphors, I think we can do disservice to the church. All of these need to be emphasized and looked at as we look at the church as a whole. So you might say, uh, you know, in looking at this, I don't see anything about filling out paperwork, making pledges, going to a membership class. I, I don't see anything about membership within these metaphors. I want us to take a step back. If we think of membership, of just implying paperwork and classes and signing on a dotted line and uh, being able to vote, um, then we've missed out of the richer image that Christ has given to the church in our role. See, the way that—I'm going to make up some words here, but just go for it— the way we live out our brideness, (laughs) we live out our templeness, the way we live out our emissariness— embassy, right? We live out our familyness is through the accountability structure of the visible church. See, the way that we live out those metaphors is by being in the visible church in its accountable structure. That's the way we have to live it out. You see, there's examples, if many of you are not be convinced, in the church, in um, talking about the church in the New Testament, of specifically the visible church. And being able to identify people that are a part of that visible church and people that are not part of that visible church. And I'm talking about four walls here. In fact, in Corinth, talking about Corinthians, Paul says... The whole church. He says that. The whole church. And he's not talking about the church universal outside everyone that confesses Christ. He's talking about the church in Corinth. And he's saying, I'm identifying those people that are in the church here in the city of Corinth. And in fact, the word to join the church is actually used in the Bible. In Acts chapter 5, we see two people that were a part of the church call them members or whatever you want to call them, that were disciplined for disobeying in a very harsh way. Ananias and Sapphira, if you want to see God's harshness in the New Testament, there it is in Acts. And what happens when these two people are judged harshly? It says that those people that were out of the church, the non-Christians, were not going to join the church. They were Worried about being able to join such an organization. Does that mean that there weren't non-Christians a part of the fellowship? No. It means to take the further step, to be identified, to be baptized, to take communion within the church. They said, oh, whoa. If we do this, it is a serious thing. Also, we see in Acts when people are converted when people come to know Christ, it says the Lord was adding to the church. Not just the church universal, here it's talking about the church visible. So when people are coming to know Christ, they are being become part of a visible church. Hear this argument. I encourage you, you might disagree with me. I'm I'm open for discussion. I would love to discuss this with you. Be good. I I hope I listen most and ask questions rather than me preaching at you when we sit down one-on-one. I want to hear where you're coming from. But I believe, and I think the scripture teaches, except for extenuating circumstances, only certain, just really tough instances where people are really far away from any church. When people become Christians in the New Testament, they join a church. They just become part of the church. It's just what you did. In the New Testament, people became Christians, and they became part of the visible church. Well again, all these metaphors and all these examples, I want to look specifically at one metaphor this morning. And that metaphor is the church as a body. And what it says here in 1 Corinthians is that, we are all parts of this body. Some of us are a foot or a hand or an ear. We have different functions and different roles and different gifts. And each of these functions are important. And some of you might say, well, I don't see membership in the Bible at all. Well, I, I will argue that actually in 1 Corinthians 12, there is membership, right? Where does membership come from? It comes from the idea of members of a body, right? My foot is a member. My hand is a member of my body. There are different parts that make up the body. These are members. And then that's how we get our word membership. Okay? So we are all these members, have different gifts and roles. And then when we are put together, that is the church where Christ is the head. We're diverse, but we're unified. We're symbiotic in the sense that we need each other. That is the example and metaphor that Paul is giving for what the church is. And see, many of the people in Corinth were thinking they were more significant because they had speaking roles or they had money or they had significance. They were the eyes. They were the ears of the church. But Paul says, no, no, no. In fact, even those members that you do not see, the hidden members, are actually very, very important. And if they are taken away... It loses the whole healthiness of the church. See, the hidden functions play an important role. And when they are not there, the church suffers. You know, it's my first funeral here at Emmaus Road. I've done funerals before in Colorado, but here I'm kind of the lead guy in doing it. And it's it's, uh, different. I, I just admit, I, I didn't know Barb very well. I talked to her and had meetings with her and stuff like that, but we weren't friends for long periods of time. She was a quieter lady, but very, very sweet. And I really, when I heard she died, I really didn't get too emotionally personally. It was hard. It was a loss. But I had been very weepy this week. And I've been weepy because um, when you do a funeral, you gather information about who Barb is and you want to hear from people about her significance. And I, I just admit, I was in meetings with people talking about Barb and hearing her out and planning this service and I just couldn't control myself in crying because you hear stories of these people, of things that I would never see, that you would never see of what Barb has done and what she meant to people and how she prayed for us that I had no idea about. From her friends. And I see the loss. That these people have. With her being gone. And thing is. She was a hidden member. Of the church was she not. Something that that we did not see. But I was suffering. Because of her loss. And I just started to see. A glimpse of how significant. She was to our body. That I can say and hopefully we can all say. In this end it says if one member suffers all suffer together. We have suffered as a church by losing the membership of Barb. Now she is in glory and she is a better place with the Lord. But we are here without her and we have suffered with her loss. People that we don't see. Hidden functions that have such important roles within what we are doing. And if we don't have you a part of the church, if we don't have you a part of this body, we are losing out. Ephesians makes it it even more clear. It says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, we need each other. We need each other for the healthiness of the church. You know first Corinthians People would say it's talking about a universal thing, right? It says, For just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And we say, you know, this is talking about the universal church. It's talking about being able to be unified together. One spirit. The people from diverse backgrounds. Different races. Different cultures that can come together under the lordship of Christ. I agree that 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about that church universal. All those that confessed Christ. But Paul is also speaking about the church locally. Four walls. He's talking to the church in Corinth. See, The universal principles of the church, of love, of unity, of diversity, of the symbiotic relationship, they become present in the local church. That's where they are seen. See, if we want to live out the universal principles of the church, which are seen in love and grace and all those things, we have to do it within the local church, I'll say it again. If you want to live out the principles of the universal church, what it means to be a Christian in God's family, you have to do it by becoming a member of a local church. That's where it's seen. That's where it's put into action. Yeah, all Christians are within the family of God. Yes. But the local church lets you live it out. I mean, you can go listen to God on an iPod or your sermon on that or music on that, but that's not being part of the local church. I'm going I'm to readily admit, there are, especially with technology and the way it works in globalization, there are better places to hear sermons than here, okay? There are such better preachers than me that you can download a sermon on this topic specifically and hear a sermon by a PhD, amazing preacher that might spend 40 hours a week just on his sermon that will be able to preach with funny, he'll be great, so much better than I would be. In fact, there are groups that you can join, Bible studies, that can just be your friends and you can hang out and have a good time, that you don't have to be a part of our community groups would have people that have crying kids and they're older and younger, they're all different, some people you don't always like. You know, there are better groups to join than ours. In fact, there are better ways to serve and use your gifts than here in the church, You could go to another organization and they would probably give you huge pat's on the back. They would see what your specific gifting is and be able to take exams and put you in that place. And you could serve in a great way there. And they would probably buy gift cards for you and take you out to dinner and say, you're the greatest thing ever. And they'd make plaques for you. Rather than here where it's just kind of hodgepodge at times of serving and you have to wake up early and set up or whatever it might be. There are better places to serve. In fact, there are better places to hear music and sing. You can get your Spotify playlist out and listen to music, and you'll be like, man, I am in the presence of God when I hear this band produced music that has guys from Nashville that are awesome playing, and you're like, man, I am in the presence of God. Rather than coming here some weeks, you no, know, friends, Adrian, I know that place, you like, man, it's hard, I don't feel like I'm in the presence of God. There are better places to go, but God has not made us worship Him in a vacuum by ourselves on our iPhone. He has called us to worship him in the body of Christ in its dysfunction and its problems because there we truly see how he has made us and how he self is. Who is God? The Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit within relationship. If we want to know what is truly to love God and the triune God that we have, we need to be in relationships one with another. Is that passionate enough for you? There you go. But that, that is a call against our culture. That is countercultural. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people about assurance. It seems like people in our church struggle sometimes with assurance. How do I know I'm saved? It seems like my emotions sometimes go up and down. My relationship with God goes up and down at times. I struggle with things. Am I truly saved? How, do, how, how am I assured? Well, usually my go to answer is our assurance is not based on our emotions or our struggling up and down. Our assurance is ultimately based on Christ's struggle for us, his death on the cross. So we need to rely on his assurance and not our own. But if you want to take one further, how can you be assured if you're a Christian? One way you can be assured you're a Christian is that you are a part of the visible church. If you want to know I'm not going off the rails, that I'm in a relationship that people can see where I'm going, then be a part of the church. Mark Dever, who I've known for a long time because I went to school in D.C. and he's the pastor there, Nine Marks guy. He would come and speak to our group at InterVarsity. And he likes shock value. That's kind of his thing. And he'd like to shock us students because we were fickle. And he said to us, he said, you know, this is the first thing he said before speech. If you're not part of the visible church, it's very likely that you're not saved. I was I was, whoa. Cyprian said the same thing in the third century. He said, you know, outside the church, there is no salvation. Oh man, this guy is saying crazy things now. Hear me please. The only thing that saves us is Christ alone. Okay? But also hear this. When God saves, he ordinarily, naturally, and necessarily draws us into community with other Christ followers. Fruit of our knowing Christ is seeing that we need to be a part of the body of Christ in others, in the visible church. And when that longing is not there, I do wonder if the Spirit is even in work in your life. Okay? I understand that might be a hard conversation for those of you. Again, please, you can come talk to me. I'm just saying what Cyprian said. Uh, What I believe other people, Mark Dever, I trust his opinion too, and others. And I also trust the confession, which actually says that exact statement that I just read. Okay? I hope there's objections. Let me respond to three objections that you might have in your head right now. It seems that you're making a strong correlation between membership and being a Christian. Isn't membership just showing extra hoops, which is contrary to the free gift of the gospel? It could be ex- objection one. I'll get to that. Objection two, I know plenty of people that are members of church that are far from God. Objection two. And number three, um, I can have all these relational connections in the context of the church and still not be a member. Okay? Three objections. Okay, let me take them one by one. Okay? First objection. It shouldn't be harder to get into the church than it is to get into heaven. Okay? I agree with that. Okay? So that is why I, we, our church, Presbyterian Church, there are no extras of being a, becoming a member of the church. It's faith and repentance, which I think is necessary to get into heaven. Trust in Christ and repenting of your sin. That is what it means to be a Christian faith in what Christ has done, repenting that I can't do it myself, I'm trying to take my sin, put it upon him, receive his righteousness. Okay? That's all you need to be a member of the church. No superfluous theological positions. Okay? You don't have to be a Calvinist to be a part of this church. You don't have to believe in infant baptism. You don't have to have a view of what you think the millennium is going to be. Okay? You have to confess Christ. I think those other things can be sorted over time, and we can have discussions about that. But that is what we think, that's how you become a member. So there is no extra hoops. There is what we would say anyone should go through to identify themselves with Christ. Okay? But to the other objection, that also goes to many people that are members of churches that are out there, that... Really, don't confess Christ. <laughs> that come and go out of the church, in and out, in and out, in and out, and you don't know where they are. And this is what I think is answering the second, the second and third question. The third question, again, that you might have had is, well, I can be a part of this church and everything like that, but I don't have to be a member. What makes it specific about being a member? Hear me, please. What makes it different is that you are submitting to spiritual authority membership is submitting to spiritual authority. Okay? Matthew 16:19. Jesus gives the keys to the kingdom to his disciples. What he is saying is, guard the flock. You have the picture and you can advise of who is within the visible church and who is outside of the visible church. The keys are you're in your hands as officers of the church, as leaders in the church of who is in and who is out. Now, does what a local church do change a person's status in heaven? No. But it does affirm your citizenship. (laughs) It does affirm where you are with the Lord. Okay? Okay? Okay, so Corinth, okay? I'm going back to 1 Corinthians 5. If again, you object on that, those issues? What's happened in Corinth in um, 1 Corinthians 5? They've gotten the message of grace, these Gentiles. And they say, oh, this is amazing. We are free. We can live the way we want. No one can judge us. Sexual behavior is irrelevant. I can do whatever I want. And what has happened? A man has decided he's going to sleep with his stepmom. okay? And Paul says, no, no. He is a part of your church. He is identified as a part of the church. He needs to be removed. Leaders in the church, remove him from the body. Outside of communion, excommunicate him from yourselves. Because what you are doing as a church is you're identifying who is truly living The professed life of Christ and who is not. So the keys have been given to you to who is in and who is out. I am very aware that this idea of spiritual authority and spiritual discipline is not a very popular teaching in the church today, especially in the United States, okay? And I think it's not popular for a few reasons. One, some of us have been abused by church leadership. Okay? And what has happened is they have not followed the right process. There's been accusations. There's been gossip. There hasn't been dealing with a person in patience, finding out what's going on first one-on-one. Okay? Okay? And then after identifying things, and the person saying, oh, I still will not repent. Then taking two or three. And after that does not happen, then bringing it to the leaders of the church. And off that, then to the whole visible church. Okay? There is a process that we do not always follow. Also, there is leaders feeling that they are the chief shepherds. When in fact, the elders of the church are under shepherds. The chief shepherd is Christ, and we are ultimately accountable to him. And also, one thing I'm encouraged about being a part of our denomination specifically is that you're not—I'm also accountable not just to myself, but to other pastors within our denomination. So if I go off the rails, that you can go to others and say, okay, is Dan being accountable to the church So there's accountability even outside of our own elders and session if we are acting incorrectly that you can go to and seek guidance. So one, some of you have been abused, but I hope doing the right process in the right way, seeing true accountability and going about the process one-on-one, two and three in the church is a better way of doing it. And for those that you have been abused, I would hope, we can do it the right way here and follow the process right. Second, why the idea of spiritual authority and church discipline is difficult for us to hear. That we live in a very individualistic, I'm going to run my own life society. Okay? No one is telling me what to do. Okay? And if you're telling me that I'm the authority of someone else and someone else can discipline me, I am not game with that. And I don't want to join a place like that. Hear me, discipline in a church is not specifically elders going to members. In fact, discipline is the body together. It's Phil coming to me as a friend and saying, Dan, shape up on this area, man. I can't believe you talk that way sometimes. That is discipline, okay? That is my friend correcting me of where I should be in my life. That's how easy it is. And we have that within the body of Christ. Okay? And also I think there's an idea that discipline is harsh and it's not beneficial. It cannot help us. I think God disciplines, the scripture says, he disciplines those he loves. Okay? Hebrews, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, true, But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There are things we do not see that we need others to help us and correct us in it. If we are not a part of the visible church, how do we know who to correct and who not to? Lastly, a wrong view of church authority. Okay? Church authority... As not lording over others, as First Peter 5 says. Instead, church authority is leading like Christ did. What did he do? He served. He sacrificed. He gave his life for others. That is what it means to be a leader in the church. To serve and love and come under the others and listen and bear with and serve when people are going through some hard times. So when there is discipline, that you are bearing with them, saying, I understand this is difficult and this hard. Can I help you through this? Can we work through this together? That is what it means to have authority, spiritual authority in the church. You see, membership identifies who the flock is. The Bible teaches There is specific things in the visible church that you need to identify who's in your church and who's not. How can we minister to you well if we don't know you are committed to this church? That you are not under its spiritual authority. And I believe the major objection that is in our society in keeping people from joining churches is that we want to keep our options open, for one. And we don't trust coming under the care of others. I'll use my political science background. Why not? I paid for that education. I should do it, right? A famous book called Making Democracy Work, written by Robert Putnam at University of Harvard, studies Italy. And Italy, um, in the northern Italy versus southern Italy, and northern Italy is a lot more economically and a better place than southern Italy. And uh, it used to be divided politically. But uh, then the same political system took over both northern and southern Italy. And Putnam studied, even through this same political system, even with same kind of economic resources, why does it seem that the northern, northern Italy is more prosperous than the south? so he 's trying to examine this sociologically, politically, and he came down to this: People in the su- in South Italy are less likely to trust others outside of their family, therefore entering into business relationships with others outside of themselves. so businesses and eco- economics does not increase because people are not willing to enter into partnerships because they don 't trust people outside. Of their own family. And in Northern Italy, they are able to trust those outside of themselves. He calls this political capital. Social capital. Um, whatever. And then writes a book about it. Bowling alone. About it being in America. But I would say that I feel the same is true for the church in America. Okay. That we do not trust others to care for us. And our lack of trust, which is manifested in not joining the church, it hurts the church. It hurts our personal growth. It hurts our witness to the world. It also hurts the ability for us to be strong and united as a church and to be able to serve the needs that are out there. Because we are fickle, because we run to where we want, and because we don't believe that, What Christ has instituted, what God has given us, the visible church, is really good for us. We don't trust God in that. And how can I blame you? How can I blame you? What's the reality? You've been hurt by the church, some of you. You've experienced some serious pain. The church has made promises. Oh, you'll have friendships. Or you'll get taught well. You'll spiritually grow. You'll have an amazing time here. Your kids will be awesome when they're 18. And you don't deliver. How can I blame it? When the reality is, the church is broken. That's why I'm glad you're a part of Emmaus Road. Because we're never going to fail you. We're never going to do anything wrong. We're never going to sin here. We're never going to use our spiritual authority in the wrong way. You have come to the perfect church. Welcome. (laughs) I hope you see that's tongue-in-cheek, sarcasm. No. It's not if we are going to hurt you. It's when. It's not if we're not going to meet your expectations. It's when we will not meet your expectations. I think the passage in Matthew 16 is interesting, that... God said he would build his, rock, his church upon the rock, Peter. Okay? And I think it's interesting because Peter was really screwed up. And why would he build a church upon him? Because I think Peter represents all of us. Okay? He says, I'm going to build a church upon you, and then Peter denies Christ three times. Um, then... Uh, Peter has the Holy Spirit and later in the New Testament when he's helping build a church he's racist towards Gentiles and says they don't belong to be a part of uh, the body of Christ. But still Paul corrects him and says you need to be thinking differently bro. Bro again man. Josh. You need to be thinking differently. Fellow apostle. Um, And he can. Peter screws up. And Christ says, this is who I build my church upon. You see, Christ still bled for Peter. He still bled for the representation of the church. He still died for a spotted bride. For a broken bride. See, it's the work of Christ that we are now a part of the body. It's the work of Christ that we are now the temple. It's the work of Christ that we are his people. It's the work of Christ that we are his flock. It's the work of Christ that we are his bride. It is the work of Christ that we are his joy and his crown. And we realize that we are just like Peter, broken. But Christ still loves us, the bride. The church. And when we persevere with the church. When we join the church. When we say I will be identified with this. Even in its brokenness. Even in its flaws. We are then therefore. Showing the love of Christ is working upon us. And we will grow more and more in his likeness. Because Christ loved the broken bride. He bore with it. He was patient with it. He suffered for it. He even died for it. So that when we persevere in the church going through these same pains and struggles, even with Peter that Christ went through, that we would identify with his suffering and be in his likeness. The bridegroom who laid down his life and submitted himself to the Father. That is who we will become like as we submit to the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a broken institution. But it's the one you've chosen. Sometimes I wonder why. But I want to trust you. I do trust you. That you would use the church for your glory. God, as we enter in as Emmaus Road, becoming a particular church with our own elders, help us, guide us. When we do wrong, lead us to repentance. Just pray these things in your son's name. Amen.